Good to see all of you who are here live. also want to welcome those who are watching online this morning. Today we're wrapping up this series called Thankful, where we've been asking this kind of big overarching question. And that question is this, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And if you've missed any parts of this series, um, you can always catch up by watching previous messages on YouTube by searching South Portland NAS. But let me just give you a quick recap of what we've been doing. In week one, Pastor TJ, our student pastor, he started us off, and we talked about being thankful for the presence of God's grace in our lives, for his pervenient grace that comes even before we know him. And then in week two, we looked at the story of Hannah, and we talked about being thankful for the generosity of God. We learned that everything we have is a gift from God. The air we breathe, the planet we live on, um, our ability to work, our, our brain, our bodies, um, the people that we love, and most importantly, Jesus, our Savior, who willingly died for us, who paid the price for all of our sins. And we, and we learned this incredible truth that we can't outgive God, that it's impossible to outgive God, and that God has called us as followers of his son Jesus to be generous, just like our Heavenly Father. And then last week, Pastor Nancy brought us this very powerful message that the cure for a negative and complaining heart is thankfulness and gratitude, that the attitude of gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions, and that we can either magnify our problems in life, or we can choose instead to magnify the Lord. And we need to make the choice to rejoice, and that thankfulness should, should not just be an event in our life that occasionally happens, but instead, thankfulness should be a lifestyle. Now, today, as we end this series, we're going to talk about the idea of being thankful for the beautiful bride of Christ, for his church. And hopefully by the end of today's message, you're going to see that God wants to do something beautiful right here in our church. See, sometimes it's hard to, to look at ourselves and see something that's beautiful. So today I want you guys to hear what God sees when he looks at all of you, his sons and daughters, the body of Christ, the church. So why don't you all open your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and if you have it with you on you know, your smartphone or if you have a Bible with you right now, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Chapter 13, we're going to dive in a little bit, starting in verse 53. And we're going to look at a passage today as the church. We're going to read from the Word of God today. And as you get there, let me just say that this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is a passage that's not often talked about in church. I mean, I can't remember a time where I've really heard this talked about in church. And, and I believe it's a little bit underrated as a passage in Scripture. I think it's a little bit underappreciated. So here we go. It says this, Matthew 13, starting in verse 53. It said, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. I got to stop there for one second. Jesus had been on a speaking tour around the Sea of Galilee, and everywhere Jesus showed up, the Word of God showed up, because Jesus is, in fact, the Word of God. Jesus healed lepers. He, he brought a little girl back from the dead. He even healed a Roman centurion's servant. He didn't even need to go to the home. He just said the word, and the servant was healed. Then Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Many biblical scholars believe this is why Peter would later deny Jesus three times. 
Just kidding. Just kidding. If my mother-in-law Vivian is listening right now, I, I do love you, Mom. I just want you to know that. But Jesus is on the move. He's doing his three-year ministry, miracle after miracle after miracle, left and right, healing people all over the place. Like there is more excitement in Jesus's ministry than the rock at WrestleMania, if you smell what I'm cooking. And crowds show up everywhere he goes. People show up to hear him. And then, then he goes to his hometown. And we would now think this is going to be the biggest party of them all, right? I mean, Hollywood itself couldn't write a better script than this. The Son of God returns to his hometown, to his community, where he grew up, to his people. That's what we would think the story should be. What a party. What a celebration. But guess what, church? If we think that, we would be wrong. Check out what happens. Picking up in verse 54. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mom's name Mary? Aren't, aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? So Jesus comes back home, and guess what? He gets invited to be the guest speaker at his church, at his local church. And as he starts speaking, the people from his hometown are at first amazed. They start to ask themselves, isn't that Mary and Joseph's little boy? I, I thought he was the carpenter's son. How does he know all this stuff about scripture? How does he know all this stuff about God? Where does he get all this knowledge and wisdom? How does he speak with such power and authority? And then their attitudes start to change. Continuing in verse 56. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Church, let's pray together as we start this morning. Father God, I pray that in these next few minutes that you will speak to each of us, whether we're here in this building this morning or, or watching the service today online, to help us to realize how you want to use each and every one of us, each and every one of these wonderful people here, your sons and daughters, to make an incredible impact in our homes, in our communities, in our places of work, our schools, in our state of Maine, and in this world. God, I pray that you would reveal to us today what you want to teach us and that you would use it to, to stimulate us to action and change. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, notice in this passage, it doesn't say that Jesus could not do miracles. It doesn't say he could not. No, it says because of their lack of faith, Jesus did not do many miracles. Everywhere else he went, everywhere else he visited, he performed miracle after miracle after miracle. Everywhere he went, he was received as a prophet, perhaps the Messiah, the long-awaited Son of God. Could it be him? But in his hometown, where the people should have seen him for who he truly was, they were so close to him that they missed out on what was right in front of their faces. And I think as Christians coming to church each and every week, Many of us growing up in the church, I think we have the potential of falling into a very similar trap, and we can miss the blessings that God wants to pour out 
onto his church and into our lives because we just show up sometimes and we kind of go through the motions. So Jesus went home and again, everywhere he had been, he was Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah that everyone had been waiting for. He was a biblical times rock star. But when he went home, they just remembered him as Joseph's son, as Mary's little boy. They had seen him in diapers. And you know what? It's hard to worship someone as the son of God when you've seen them in diapers. Now, to a small extent, I'm reminded of this truth nearly every time I'm in a vehicle with my mother. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Uh, my mom, Jaya, I love her so much. She's an awesome mom, an amazing woman. But when she's in a car with me, she cannot resist the urge to teach me how to drive. <laughs> and mom, you're here, I know you're here today. You might not realize this, but I've had my driver's license now for almost 30 years. And amazingly, over the past three decades, I've actually driven to many, many places quite successfully. I've been known to operate a minivan full of five screaming children and a stressed out spouse from point A to point B without anyone dying. I think that's a pretty big accomplishment, okay? So why is it then that my dear mom feels a constant need to remind me how to drive when she's in a car with me? Why does she need to point out every stop sign that's coming and let me know that a light's about to turn red? Well, when you've seen somebody in diapers, when you've literally wiped someone's rear end, when you've been that close to someone, they will always be your kid. They will always be your baby. And moms look out for their kids, right? By the way, she still reminds me to wear a coat, scarf, and hat when it gets cold outside and to eat more veggies at dinner time. She's a mom. I remember when I first became um, a senior pastor of a church, um, I had been a children's pastor for 10 years, one of the largest Nazarene churches in Maryland. And when Julie and I felt um, a calling from God to go plant a church just outside of Baltimore, um, some people couldn't believe it. Uh, he, he's a children's pastor. How's he going to plant a church? But what they didn't realize was that a lot had changed in my 10 years as an associate pastor at that church. I mean, when I had started at that church, it was my first position at, as a church, at a church. I was a college student. I was a newlywed. 10 years later, I was a grown man with a master's degree in pastoral counseling, 10 years of experience as an associate pastor at a church, 10 years of, of experience as a husband. I was now not just a children's pastor working with kids, but I was now a father of three kids, and we had a fourth on the way. I was a different person at a different stage of life. But there were still people out there who would look at me as that college kid from 10 years earlier. It was all about perception. So today, we're, we're going to end this series by talking about a biblical principle called the perception principle. So help me out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tap on the shoulder of a person near you right now, and I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, are you ready to hear about the perception principle? Can you do that? Go ahead and do that. Are you ready to hear? Awesome. Great job. Great job. Now I want you to tap on somebody else near you who you didn't like as much, because <laughs> let's be honest, you didn't pick them first, so pick your second choice, tap them on the shoulder, and say, are you ready to hear about the perception principle? Awesome. Now we all know who's first and who's second in our lives from the people around us, right? 
All right, this biblical principle has the potential, I believe, to change relationships in your life. It could change your dating relationships, your romantic relationships, your marriage relationships, your parenting relationships, whether you're a parent here or you're a student here. It has the power to impact relationships. So here it is. You guys ready? We'll put it up on the screens for you. This is the perception principle. You're only able to receive someone on the level that you perceive someone. You're only able to receive someone on the level that you perceive someone. So knowing this truth, we're going to unpack four simple questions this morning. If you're taking notes, question number one is this. How do you perceive Jesus? In your life, how do you perceive Jesus? Why did many of the people in his literal hometown not embrace and receive Jesus? Because they perceived him as little baby Jesus. They had a Ricky Bobby view of Jesus. There was a a Will Ferrell comedy many years ago called Talladega Nights about this dysfunctional NASCAR driver. And at the dinner table with his family, he would say grace, and he would pray to the tiny infant baby Jesus. And his wife questioned him and said, honey, that's a little bit weird. Jesus isn't a little baby anymore. But Ricky Bobby was like, well, the Christmas Jesus is my favorite, so that's how I'm going to pray. Dear eight pounds, six ounce, tiny little baby infant Jesus in your golden fleece diapers. But guess what, church? I've got news for you. He is not the baby Jesus asleep on the hay anymore. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is holy and exalted He's one of a kind. He's all-powerful. He's unprecedented. That's who we've come to worship today. But many of us fall into the trap of just going through the motions of church. Because maybe we've grown up in the church. Maybe we've known about him since we've been in diapers. And so we no longer see him for who he truly is. We need to change our perception of Jesus so we can truly receive him. Because if we perceive him as king of kings and lord of lords and our savior, then we will begin to receive him as king of kings and lord of lords and our savior. How do you perceive him? How do you perceive Jesus? Question number two, how do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive yourself? Um, I've got five kids. The one right in the middle is Cassidy. She's my 13-year-old. And um, Julie and I often, you know, joke around that she's our strong-willed child. She's one of those kids that's either going to change the world for God or go to prison trying. Okay? I'm, I'm betting on change the world. That's my regular prayer for her. In fact, that's my regular prayer for all my kids, that they would be the greatest young women and young men of their generation for God. That's my prayer. Well, when Cassidy was a was younger, when she was around three years old, she achieved potty training success, which is one of the kind of weirder things about being a parent. If you're a a student in here today, middle school student, high school student, college student, if you're a single without kids, you need to understand this. Before you become a parent, you would never imagine in your life that one day you would check out somebody else's stuff in a toilet and cheer them on for putting it there, okay? But as a parent, like, that's what you do. You celebrate. And so like we did with, with all of our kids, my wife Julie and I, we would celebrate Cassidy during her potty training time, and we would say things like, you're awesome. And she would say back, I am awesome. 
We would say, Cassidy, you're so beautiful. And she would say, I am beautiful. We would say, Cassidy, you're the best. She would say, I know, Daddy. And then I started worrying that we were turning her into an egotistical narcissist. That she was going to walk into her first day at work and she was going to be like, I'm the best, everybody. Welcome, you know. But as a little kid, when she repeated these things back to me, I just thought it was really cool because maybe she actually believed what her father and what her mother believed about her. And with all the crap out there in this world, especially for girls that just beat down constantly on their self-esteem and their self-worth, I wanted my kids to perceive themselves for who I believe they can be as their loving father, for who my wife believes they can be as their loving mother, and ultimately for who God believes they can be as their perfect heavenly parent. But the problem with many of us is that we've never applied the perception principle to ourselves. And so we often fail to look at ourselves the way our Heavenly Father perceives us. See, we often look at ourselves according to our condition, not our position. We often focus on our flaws. We can be our biggest critic in life, can't we? We focus on our flaws, our poor decisions, our bad choices, our mistakes. But the Bible says that God views you way, 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 way more than just a sinner saved by grace. He calls you by name. He calls you his daughter. He calls you his son. He, he says that, that you are uniquely and wonderfully made by him, and he wants great things for you in this world. If you can't perceive that for yourself, you can't receive that for yourself. If you can't see it, you can't be it. So how do you perceive Yourself. Number one, how do you perceive Jesus? Number two, how do you perceive yourself? Now, number three, question three, how do you perceive others? How do you perceive others? So what would it look like to apply this principle with other relationships in your life? Imagine using the perception principle in your marriage. Are you perceiving God about to do something big in the life of your spouse? How about instead of looking at your spouse and thinking, you are so dumb and you drive me nuts all the time. What if instead you thought you're an amazing person, you got it going on, God is going to use you to do great things. He's got a big next step about to happen in your life. What if when your wife is ready to redecorate the house for the 12th time this year, instead of getting annoyed, you say you are so talented, you are so creative, your ideas for our home, I mean, nobody does it like you, hon. Joanna Gaines has nothing on you, baby. What if instead of, of telling your 14-year-old how lazy they are and how messy their room is, you start telling them how gifted they are and how you perceive the potential of greatness in them? Because there are people in your life who are full of potential, but they don't perceive themselves for who they are or for who they could become with God. How do you perceive Jesus? How do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive others? Last one today, question number four. How do you perceive the church? How do you perceive the church? If you're a volunteer here in any ministry area of the church, could you please stand? And don't clap yet as they stand. Don't, don't clap yet. Hold on for one second. I've got something to tell them. And if you're not standing, by the way, right now, I've got good news for you. There is a place for you here to serve. You can get plugged in. Even if you're watching online right now, talk to a staff member, shoot us an email. We will help you 
to get plugged in. But to all our volunteers, let me tell you guys something this morning. Don't you ever, ever view yourself as just a volunteer. I'm just a volunteer. Heck no. You're an owner of this church, and you're a connector to the power of Jesus. When people walk into the doors of this church, you help connect them to the power of Christ. Whether it's a smile and a kind word when you open up a door for someone, or the music you play to prepare hearts for worship, or something that you teach a child or a student about God that they had fun learning about, or the buttons you push up in the sound booth, or, or a small group that you lead, or, or opening up your home to a group, or, or folding and sorting clothes for the clothing closet, or collecting food and diapers and delivering meals to somebody who just is recovering from illness or who's just hurting. You are a connector to the power of Jesus Christ. And I don't want any of you to forget it. Now we can give them a round of applause. Thank you. You guys can be seated. When it comes to church, don't fall into the trap that the people of Nazareth made when Jesus came for a visit. And this trap is one of the easiest to fall into for those who have been here the longest. I mean, some of you guys, you've seen this church from its beginning. You've seen this church from when it was in diapers, okay, at least at this location. But maybe, maybe you're missing what's right in front of your face. God is using our church to impact the world. In the past two and a half years, even through a global pandemic for much of that time, thousands, let me say that again, thousands of people have received clothing, toys, food, diapers, and felt the love of Jesus from the people of this church. In the last two years, nearly 100 people have made the decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's awesome. We should celebrate that. <laughs> Dozens of people have gone public with that decision through baptism. There are churches across this state there are churches across this country that haven't seen life change like that in decades. God did that here in just over two and a half years. God is moving in our church. When Jesus talked about his church in Matthew 5, 14, he said we should be a light in the world. He said this in, in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand so that it'll give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We want this church to shine the light of Jesus into the world. Did you know that Maine is the first geographical place in the United States where the light shines when the sun rises each and every morning. I think it's just another reminder to us of who we are called to be. We are the light of the world. The church is beautiful. So how do you perceive the church? I'll tell you how I perceive our church. I love my church. I love my church. Today, as we um, close this service and this series, 
we're going to be offering communion. It's something we regularly do as the church. It's something we regularly do as the body of Christ. At our church, we recognize two biblical sacraments or commands by our Lord and Savior Jesus to be observed by his followers. One is baptism, which we just talked about. It's the public declaration that one is now a follower of Christ. It's the next big step that a person makes after they make the decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's an outward expression of an inward change. The other sacrament is communion, the taking of, of bread and wine by followers of Christ in remembrance and in gratitude for the sacrifice of Jesus. Here at our church, we believe in an open communion where anyone who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior is welcome to participate. When you um, arrived this morning, there was uh, communion elements on the back table. If you didn't have a chance to grab those, I invite you to do that now. If you're watching online right now, um, you could even just hit pause on YouTube and you can just head to your cupboard and get some crackers or some juice or, or whatever it is that you might have available to you. And you can, again, join us in taking communion this morning. But if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, if you're here and you're still figuring out what you believe about God and, and Jesus and the church, First of all, we are so glad that you're joining us today, but please don't feel pressured that you have to do this. But if you acknowledge Jesus as your savior, even if you made that decision today during this service, we want you to know we would love for you to participate. Are you ready, church? Let's pray. Almighty God, our heavenly father, who out of your grace, mercy, and love gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross and save us from our sins and to give you glory. We thank you today. We are forever grateful. We're reminded that in the same night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Jesus Christ died for you. Likewise, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. And be thankful. As we continue to remember what Jesus did for us and who he is, let's stand together as the worship team leads us and let's sing.
Praise God. I want to give you guys a couple quick announcements before we close in prayer this morning. Um, again, to remind you, the Blessing Tree is now up and active. Um, you can continue to be able to adopt kids off of the tree. We're super excited about how many went last week. We're hoping that all of them go. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so, or if you think you can even adopt a second child off the tree, please do that today. And then we have a couple gifts for you in the foyer this morning. Um, one is the, the Advent book that uh, Nancy talked about. And uh, she didn't mention this, but um, this book is actually written by Pastor TJ, our student pastor, and edited by Ellen Dunn. And uh, we think it's a fabulous resource. And um, we want you guys to be able to have that as a gift. So if you could grab that one for family to be able to learn more about Advent this season. And then um, if you'd like a t-shirt, we have the I Love My Church t-shirts out there for free to give you guys as a gift. If we run out of sizes or anything like that, there's also a sign up where you can put your name and what your size is, and we'll try to connect you with one of those. But I want to make sure you take advantage of that too in the lobby as well. So you can let people know in your community that you love your church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the amazing God who loves us. You are the God who gives us so many things in life that we are to be thankful for. God, thank you for your pervenient grace that, that comes even before we know you, that you love us and that you are revealing yourself to us through this world and through, through people that you place in our lives, Father God. We thank you for being the God who is so generous, the God who is the definition of generosity, that there's nothing we can do to outgive you. God, we thank you for, for teaching us that we can overcome negative thinking and, and all of the, those things with a like kind of a, 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 a broken and sour heart, Lord God, by, by having thankfulness and generosity replace that in our lives, by having more of you in our lives. And Father, we thank you for this idea of being able to perceive differently so we can receive the blessings that you have for us. Father, help us to, to maybe change some of the ways that we perceive Jesus to realize who he truly is. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords in our lives. Help us to perceive ourselves differently, that we are not just sinners saved by grace. We are sons and daughters of you, the King of the universe, and that you love us and have great plans for our future. God, change the way maybe we perceive others, maybe people who rub us wrong, people who just frustrate us at times, but instead, God, we wanna look at them through the eyes that you have for them. Help us to look at the people around us the way you see them so that we can see the potential for greatness in each and every one of them. And then, Father, help us to perceive your church for what it is, your beautiful bride, that we are the body of Christ and that united we can make a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our state of Maine, in this world for you. God, we love you and we want to be used by you for your glory, Lord God. Help us to do that. Help us to truly be your church in this world. And God, we love you and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise today for what you're doing and what you will continue to do in the lives of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have an amazing, amazing week and can't wait to see you back next Sunday as we kick off our brand new Christmas series.